Hello and welcome to the Sequel Cast, a podcast where we review movies in a franchise one movie at a time. We're starting a new franchise up uh, this episode with the original Caddyshack. I'm your host, Uncle Milkshake, and with me is special guest Jersey Jason. Uh, actually, I'm Mitch Cumstein. Mitch Cumstein. Cumstein, yes. Cumstein, okay. Sounds an awful lot like Jersey Jason, but that's all right. Caddyshack was directed by Harold Ramis, and it was released in July 25th, 1980, in the United States of America. Classic summer comedy. Before we get started proper, I just want to give a shout-out to uh, some podcasts. I've been trying to get some guests on the show, and while these people will probably be on eventually, um, I don't know if they'll be on anytime soon, but I was talking to some people that host a podcast called Film Junk. One of the hosts on there is Sean, and it's a Canadian podcast that just focuses on movies and documentaries. It's They're very funny, very knowledgeable. And uh, I guess leave it to me to email a Canadian podcast asking if they want to be a guest on an episode where we talk about Caddyshack golf, which I don't think is a Canadian sport or very popular in Canada. And I also sent an email out to Ed Dollister, who does a podcast about Indiana Jones. Oh, that's cool. And in case we ever do that stuff, that guy's really knowledgeable. And on, on an episode of his show, they asked him to say something negative about each Indiana Jones movie. And for Temple of Doom, he could think of nothing off the top of his head. Wow. So if, when we get to that point, I think he might be very interesting to have on, even though he's from Australia and uh, the time zone differences might be a lot. But anyway, we're not talking about Indiana Jones or RoboCop or anything like that. This time around, we're doing Caddyshack, like I said, directed by Harold Ramis. And who's Harold Ramis better known as? Uh, Egon. From the Ghostbusters. Yes. Or the Doctor from As Good As It Gets. I haven't seen As Good As It Gets in a really long time. Because he's a, he's a producer or something in that, but he plays he plays the Doctor, takes care of the kids. He always he shows up in like weird little roles because he's known for his weird hair. But he's also known as an actor because not a lot of his movies are great. Right. I mean, he he's directed and written a lot of stuff. He was originally supposed to be the director for Animal House, but instead Ivan Reitman got that one. And uh, Reitman wanted to do Caddyshack too, but Harold Ramis was managed to budge in, and I believe Caddyshack was his directorial debut. And this was uh, written by Doug Kenny, who was a big uh, writer for uh, Harvard Lampoon back in the day. And Harold Ramis also wrote it, and so did Brian Doyle Murray, one of Bill Murray's many, many brothers. The eldest brother, actually. Yes. And he's actually quite trim in this movie, considering what he looks like now. Well, yeah, well, age, I mean. But then also another movie that they all worked together on, uh, Caddyshack, or, uh, Caddyshack, no, uh, Groundhog's Day. Bill yes. Murray, Brian Michael, Do- uh, Brian Doyle Murphy, Murray, I'm sorry, Brian Doyle Murray, uh, and uh, Harold Ramis is in that as well. I think Groundhog's Day is one of the better uh, later period Bill Murray comedies. I like the movie. I like the movie a lot, but... <sighs> I hate the woman in it. She's awful. Oh, wow, really? Oh, what's her name? She has that permy black hair, um... She does the Revlon commercials, whatever. Yeah. I think she's related to... No, Malcolm McDowell's sister. Uh, Andy McDowell. Are they related? Yeah, somewhere along the line. I see. Most, pe- most people are. Really- now, how old were you when you first saw Caddyshack? Because this is an R-rated comedy. Okay, that's a good question, because I saw it super censored, maybe at the age of, can you say 19? Maybe at the age of seven, late night on TV, but then I finally saw it uncensored on HBO, I believe, in the early 90s, because I remember 
I would have had to have been about maybe ten or or nine when I finally saw Lacey's tits. I was in first grade, so I was like six or seven, right a house at the front of the families. At this time, I lived in Buenos Aires, Argentina, and we watched the uncut version of the movie because someone had it, this friend of ours had it on videotape, and he showed it to us as like a big family thing. And all I remembered is really liking the gopher dancing around and <laughs> the Kenny Loggins music and uh, a scene where there is some journey music where Rodney Dangerfield dances with the boombox and the golf bag yeah. shit. What do you call that? So what? So let's dance! Oh, God. <laughs> this movie and its choice of music is so interesting because if you, like... The opening no, in particular. The opening is so well planned. It's so well timed because you, you're, introduced to the fir- you're introduced to the first character with this song about how nobody can tell you what to do and nobody can... Everybody wants to tell you advice. Everybody wants to tell you how to live your life. I guess Noonan is the kid who's supposed to be the the central character of the movie. He comes from an Irish Catholic family, huge number of kids in this family. They don't have money to take to send him to college, but they want him to go to college. And everybody's in his ear about getting on with his life and not being a caddy his entire life. And it turns as, out at the golf course he works at, they offer a scholarship to caddies once a year. If you compete in this golf tournament and win, you can get a college scholarship. But I will say, even though the movie is called Caddyshack, the uh, caddy characters are by far the least interesting part of this movie. What? I, see, that's... Okay, I disagree. I like Noonan, and I like Denunzio. And in the original script, they're supposed to be much more central to the plot. They're supposed to be so much bigger. I love uh, Denunzio. He's a funny actor, he looks good, and he just delivers his lines and stuff so, uh, so well. All the, the Caddyshack people, or the Caddyshack caddies, none of them really went on to do anything really big, except for Michael O'Keefe, who wound up sleeping with, uh, or being married to uh, Melissa Etheridge for a decade. What the hell ever, what what did Cindy Morgan ever do? Lacey Underall, she's sort of the... Again, great name. These names... Just like Ty Webb, Judge Smales, Danny Noonan. I mean, that's Irish. That's very Irish. And then he's got a more Irish girlfriend. Cindy Morgan was actually in Tron. As... She, she, plays, she plays computer program, the uh, the, the girl, whatever. Right, that, yeah. All people that they had playing the, what were supposed to be, cameos, they had all had big careers beforehand. And went on Chevy the... Chase, Ronnie Dangerfield, Ted, Ted Knight. Knight. Now, what show was Ted Knight on? He was on the Mary Tyler Moore show. Oh, Mary. He played, uh, I'm trying to remember the character that he played, though. Like, Ted Knight was a very uh, strict, by-the-script kind of guy. He didn't like the improvisation that people like Chubby Chase, Bill Murray, uh, Rodney Dangerfield, because some of these people hadn't really done too much movie-wise. There's a was good story or... about Rodney Dangerfield and that this was one of the first, this was probably the first movie that he did that really took off. He would do these bits in the movie that were hilarious, but he was sweating constantly on set because he thinks, well, I'm screwing up. People aren't laughing at my jokes. And then they tell him, well, Rodney, we can't laugh at your jokes while we're filming. Otherwise, the, the movie, it'll pick up the sound of us laughing. But trust us, you're doing great. You're doing fantastic. His delivery is like his stand-up. Isn't the material the same as his stand-up? Most of it. But a lot of it, like, uh, like every, it seems like every line that he says is pretty damn funny. Like, the ones where he's talking about how ugly he was as a baby or things like that, those were definitely from his stand-up routine, which was current, which was 
big at the time because of HBO first coming out. He was doing all these huge uh, comedy specials. It was really great at bringing new talent to the forefront. Uh, people like Seinfeld and um, Jim Carrey. Jim Carrey. He was bringing people that nobody had seen onto TV, and he was known for being kind of the god, a godfather of comedy and of the younger 80s crowd, even though he hadn't started doing comedy until he was like 40. So here's this old guy just joining into the, the comedic scene and busting people up because he, he was this old guy talking these jokes that I guess people could understand at that age. And then you had these young people who were for the younger set. It was like, um, like a Lenny Bruce uh, for the older set. But yet his jokes were so funny. I, as a kid, I thought he was hilarious. I loved his jokes that focused on like racism, sexism, all this stuff, but wasn't truly dirty. And in this movie, every line, there's not, a, there's not really a single dirty thing that he says. They're all just these bust up jokes. I haven't seen a mouth like that since the last time I went fishing. That's, what does that mean? That's gorgeous. That's beautiful material. But if you look at him, it looks like he has this kind of nervous energy with his legs, and he's not, like, hitting his marks, and he doesn't know what to do because his staging is awkward. His gestures are over-exaggerated, and his mugs are over the top. I love the one <laughs> in the golf shop when he's talking about Ted Knight, uh, Judge Schmales, uh when he's talking about this hat, and Judge Schmales happens to be wearing that hat. And he's like, oh, I bet with this hat you get a free bowl of soup. He looks over and sees Judge Schmales. Like, oh, but it looks good on you. And it's like he turns his head and makes this weird face. When he walks on screen, the way he's dressed, he looks like a cartoon character. But he really brings a lot of energy in his over-the-top comedy. His sense of humor and Bill Murray's sense of humor and delivery works well because it's such a stark contrast to Chevy Chase, who really underplays it. Mm -hmm. And Ted Knight, while funny, also sort of underplays it as well. Even though he's stomping around and is angry, he's still trying to be serious. Ted Knight, I think he goes over the top as well. He's a certain over-the-top evil. His exclamations are very boisterous, and his facial expression's big. He works his eyebrows and his eyes very well. And then, like, when he explodes, he really takes up a room or takes up a space, like when he's throwing the putter. Certainly, and it really makes me wonder. This movie came out in 1980. The sequel didn't come out until almost a decade later in 88. Yeah. If this movie was such a hit, why didn't they try... I guess, was it difficult for them to make a sequel right away with the same cast well, just because of how famous everyone became? But you're wrong there, Matt, oh. because the movie wasn't a hit. It actually only got, like, it got two out of st uh, four stars from uh, Roger Ebert. It really didn't pick up uh, a lot of critical acclaim. It didn't pick up massively in the um, box office either. They did okay, but for all the trouble I think it caused the studio, I don't think it really made the the impact until a lot later when it became a, I guess, college movie, when people really started getting into it. Same thing with Animal House. Animal House wasn't a blockbuster. It was a, it was an okay movie. It was a lampoon movie, and it did all right. But then as time went on, it became a cult classic, and people started watching it more and buying the DVD and and the people who were in it became famous, except for, of course, the caddies. And just being a thing where everybody was quoting the lines, everybody loved the movie, so they decided, hey, it's been eight years, let's capitalize on that. Let's capitalize on the cult success. 
It's taken this long. Maybe Caddyshack 2 will be popular in eight years. And I guess you're right, because by the time the sequel came out in 88, a lot of people had VCRs in their home, yep. and videotape was popular. HBO was just starting to be more mainstream. and but So it's one of those movies, Caddyshack, is one that seems like a hit in retrospect, just because it's a comedy everyone knows. Somewhere, somehow, it's always playing on a television. I mean, this movie is a classic. I actually didn't watch this entire movie because I saw the first 30 minutes and realized this is one I had seen so many times, I probably have memorized it more or less. It's very funny. It True. I watched it all the way through because I love the movie. It is a good movie. But it's immortal because you'll always have golf. Pools are funny. Bill Murray's funny. Chevy Chase is funny. Tim Knight's funny. Ronnie Dangerfield is a legend. The comedy isn't dated. You could do a movie exactly like this right now, and it would still still be clear in people's heads. Yeah, this isn't a movie that makes a lot of pop culture references, so it doesn't date itself. It's a lot of slapstick humor, some dialogue humor, but it doesn't really date itself too much. It's like if you watch something like Scary Movie now, and you didn't watch any Scream movies at that time, you wouldn't get at least half the jokes. Yes. Because it's all based on movies and music and news from that time period, but... See, this isn't a spoof. It's not a spoof on anything. It's people making fun of a sport at a time in their life, because Brian Doyle Murray and two of the other Murray brothers, they all were caddies at one point in their life. They based a lot of this script on their real life. The orange ball hitting Judge Schmales in the balls is actually based on something that happened to Harold Ramis when he was a teen playing golf. Um, one of the things Harold Ramis says is he's embarrassed by the swings of the actors because they just shot the actors doing their natural swings, which are completely wrong, except for Michael O'Keefe. Michael O'Keefe was really the only one who knew how to play golf seriously. Have you ever played golf before? Uh, I've played lots of miniature golf. I've been on a driving range, but I've never done nine holes. I've right. done a lot of miniature golf. I took lessons on a driving range for about a year and have played one hole on a golf course. But your story of from the movie of the orange golf ball hitting a guy in the nuts reminds me when I took my lessons at the driving range, sometimes I would go by myself and hit balls, but I had lessons from an old man who was probably too old and cranky to be teaching golf anyway. How old were you? I was in high school, so like 15 or 16 years old. And I was holding my golf club, and he told me to correct my posture and try to get more of a swing so I could hit my ball further. And I tried, I reared my golf club back, and it was at such an angle where it hit my golf instructor in the shin. <laughs> he cursed up a storm. He was like, God damn it, do you ever fucking pay attention? Are you fucking retarded? And went on for like five minutes, and uh, that's the day I stopped taking golf lessons. Oh, man. Oh. That's a good day to stop, yeah. But, like, that's the thing. is, like, my brother worked at a country club, and it was nothing like this. But Brian Doyle Murray said that his, the country club he had worked for was very much like this. Now, they did, they did the interiors in Boca Raton, and they did a lot of the movie down in Florida, because uh, it was really, I guess, the best place to film at that time. They filmed in uh, September of the previous year, and uh, it really it was cold, but they had to make it appear the summer. I mean, they did the water scene, they were all freezing, I've heard. And the funny thing about that is the girl plays Lacey, Cindy Morgan. She has a really awesome scene in that where she dies from a diving board. She's legally blind and has to wear contacts or glasses to actually be able to see. So when she climbed the diving board, she couldn't actually see very well. She couldn't see at all, really, when getting up there. And she had to bounce twice, 
and then get off. And they replaced her with a, a professional diver with a blonde wig. In the newest, I guess, DVD releases and such, you can clearly see the difference in body structure. You can tell it's a body double. There's another scene with Cindy Morgan where she's naked in a swimming pool with Chevy Chase. That's not a body double. That's her. She's also topless in a scene where she's in a bed with uh, Michael O'Keefe. Oh, God, yes. And I saw when I when I was a kid, I was like, wait, I don't remember this being in Caddyshack. <laughs> oh, my God. You see, under all. Okay, number one, in most of the scenes, she's not wearing a bra, wearing a bra at all. She's got very perk nipples. And I guess because it was cold in Florida, you can clearly see. It's very beautiful, the scenes with Chevy Chase where she was supposed to be naked and stuff. She actually did not want to go naked at all in the movie, but um, everybody was trying to get her to do it. Everybody. The studio, the director, they all said, oh, it's integral to the plot. It wasn't fucking integral to the plot. But she then called her agent, and her agent convinced her. She was actually so she was so close to not being in the movie. She wanted to like completely get out because she had not signed anything about uh, a nude scene. There was no talk about a nude scene when she was cast. Um, but they needed to put some asses in the seats, and one way you do that is with a nude scene. Almost any comedy from that era that's rated R is rated R not because of language, but because of a nude scene or a topless scene. Very funny, actually. The nude scene where she's on the settee with Chevy Chase with the oil, almost all that was improvised. Same thing with the, the lemon, the shot, and the salt, the way he does them, completely random. Every time she looks shocked, it's usually because she is. When he drops the oil on her, she says, you're crazy. That was like completely improvised. I wish I was Chevy Chase. At some point in my life, I hope to do that exact scene with a girl. Even if she's, even if it's not playing with her, I want to do it. And see if she gets the reference. And we can both laugh about it. Well, Caddyshack is certainly a movie that if you haven't seen it, you should definitely try and see it. It's not hard to find. If you have a Netflix subscription, you can actually see Caddyshack 1 and 2 on their Watch Instantly service. Oh, that's cool. You said that you didn't watch the whole movie. Do you feel tired of the movie? I did not feel tired of the movie. I was in the middle of cooking dinner and didn't have time to finish it. Bill Murray in this movie, it's not a big part, but he makes a great impression. He was there for six days. I don't know why. What was he doing at the time? Before this movie, he certainly did uh, Meatballs. God, Meatballs is awful. Let's talk about the Meatball movie. That's a whole series of awfulness. Before Caddyshack, he did Meatballs. He had a small part in... Uh, Eric Idle's movie, The Rudels, All You Need Is Cash. And around the same time as Caddyshack, he did a movie where he played Hunter S. Thompson called Where the Buffalo Roam. And that was it. This was really the infancy of his film career. Every time I hear about him in a movie where he's doing a cameo, he's only there for like a day. His schedule seems very tight, but it doesn't actually seem like he was doing much because he wasn't on SNL at the time in 1980. That was sort of the weird times where like, Anthony Michael Hall, and uh, I think Eddie Murphy had just left. I mean, after Caddyshack, he starred in some movies like Stripes, where he had a bigger part. Harold Ramis again. Right, and he had a small part with um, Tootsie. But Bill Murray has always been an actor that has taken his time between movies and is really, really choosy in what he does. But you're right, there's a lot of films where he's not a lead and he's in it for just a few minutes, but he makes such a good impression, you wish he was in it more. One of the best impressions that like everybody knows is the Cinderella story. This crowd has gone deadly silent. Cinderella story, out of nowhere. A former greenskeeper now about to become the Masters champion. <clears throat> it looks like I'm a wreck. It's in the hole! It's in the hole! <laughs> See, isn't that a great scene? But it turns out that that whole thing 
was improvised from two lines of stage direction. Swing your club and pretend you're a kid doing your own golf broadcast. And he did that entire thing off the top of his head in like one take. My favorite moment with him, I think, is might be his first part in the movie where he's staring at these old women golfing and he's using the ball washer and he's pumping it faster and faster, getting more vigor- vigorous with each pump. And he's fantasizing out loud about what he wants to do with these women sexually. And it's so gross and it's so disgusting, but it's not vulgar. You're lean, you're mean, and I bet you're not too far between. Yeah. I'm like, Jesus Christ, ew. I love Mr. Wong. He's a oh, photographer. God. That actual guy speaks very little English. The actual actor was a physics professor. There's actually a book out um, called The Zen of Caddyshack. It has like every crazy line and every thing that's like just supposed to let make you like you can use as your mantra. Who has the most screen time? Do you think? I would say Michael O'Keefe as Danny Noonan, the main caddy, really does have a lot of screen time. All the other actors, it's spaced out so much between them. Ted Knight has a lot of screen time as well, because he is the one in charge of the whole place and trying to running the whole scholarship caddy competition at the end. And then I think I think it's definitely uh, Chevy Chase, probably followed by Bill Murray. Cindy Morgan's in the movie a fair bit as Lacey Underall. And she's always in a scene with somebody else. She's never in a scene by herself. I would be very hard-pressed to find somebody who hates this movie. I have several family members that watch this movie at least once a year, mm-hmm. even though they can recite it line for line, know yeah. exactly what all the jokes are, and it's still funny. This is really a legendary comedy. There's just so much about this film that just stays with you and stands out. It's really, I think, it's so memorable, it's hard to forget, even if you wanted to. I mean, that's why I think it's such a disappointment in the second movie. Which we'll get but, into next episode. But let's talk about let's talk about the one character who does kind of fit in both movies, though. The Chevy Chase. No, no, no. I need the Gopher. Oh yeah, no. The Gopher is a big part of Caddyshack. It's the only part of the movie I liked when I was really little and saw the movie for the first time. It's designed by John Dykstra, who did a lot of special effects work in the '70s. He was one of the people that did special effects for Star Wars. And it, it's really cute, has puffy cheeks, it dances. Oh, and did you know this, though? The gopher sounds were actual, like, they were sound clips from Flipper. I thought they sounded familiar, that's, but it's the same clips? That's not that's not the sound a gopher would make, but they took the Flipper, and they just changed, I think, the pitch, just like a quarter of an inch, and it's supposed to sound like a Groundhog. Well, it works. I mean, you want to get across that the groundhog is annoying, and that's why Bill Murray wants to kill it. You have the Kenny Loggins song where the gopher dances to at the end of the movie as well because it's triumphant. Um, we haven't even really talked about the the great explosion at the end as trying to kill the gopher. Kenny Loggins did three different songs for Caddyshack. So it's I'm Alright is the most popular one. And there, he also did two other songs. One was called Mr. Knight. And Lead the Way. 
He did Caddyshack before he did Footloose, before he did music for uh, Top Gun. Well, yeah. So this was also Top the start of Kenny Loggins contributing music to movies, which he did a lot in the 80s to some very big hits. Way to go, Mr. Loggins. What's he doing now? Recently went on tour with Jim Messina, who helped Kenny Loggins start out co-writing his songs, and they're back together on tour. He's released a few children albums. One which was called Return to Pooh Corner. Then more recently, he did an album called All Join In. So, I mean, what did this movie contribute to the landscape? What do you think the most resounding contribution to society, really? I will be so bold as to say, Caddyshack, the movie, is probably responsible for golf being a much more popular sport in the U.S. I think its cult reputation over time which makes it a very popular movie now, even if it wasn't at its time of release, has made... Since then, there's, a, there's been a golf channel that's on cable TV. Well, I think it definitely paved the way for um, for Adam Sandler movies. Happy Gilmore, right. But you know what, though? I think I think you're absolutely right. It's It was kind of prolific golf movie before you really had golf movies. I mean, can you think of a golf movie before that? No, I can't. The other thing I think of is... I wonder if Baby Ruth was happy in how it's portrayed in this movie. As looking like poop. Yes, you have a scene, a kid is eating Baby Ruth, he drops it in the swimming pool, and the Jaws music plays. Da-da, 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 da-da. And people think this Baby Ruth candy bar is a piece of poop, because Baby Ruth is a very nutty, caramel, nougat-filled candy bar. And they all swim away, and then the punchline at the end, which is gross and hilarious, Bill Murray (laughs) has to clean the pool... And then he walks over to the candy bar, picks it up, sniffs it, and takes a bite out of it, and says, Oh, it's good. So what do you recommend Caddyshack? Absolutely. If you haven't already seen it once, see it ten times more. Oh, here's something really interesting. It's one of Tiger Woods' favorite movies. He did a commercial for American Express that paid homage to uh, Bill Murray trying to kill a gopher. Did you notice we have a Twitter page now for sequel cast? The uh, Murray Brothers, which include Bill Murray and Brian Doyle Murray, have a restaurant called Murray Brothers Caddyshack in St. Augustine, Florida. I know. I really wanted to go to it that one time. I told you the story. Why don't you tell it here? Oh, okay. Um, I went down to Megacon in Orlando, and I saw Caddyshack. I, I saw the golf course, and I saw advertisements for it, and I'm like, you know what? I'm going to hit that for breakfast on the way back to Savannah. I wound up coming home at about... One o'clock in the morning, way too early for the place to get open. Um, I was actually thinking about stopping on the side of the road and going to sleep, but I said just to drive through back to Georgia, and I really, really, really regret that. I would have loved to have just gone there just to bask. Ugh, just to bask. The menu looks pretty uh, standard for a casual dining atmosphere. Well, what it's is, it's supposed to be like decorated like a stodgy, it's like a stodgy country club restaurant, like the movie. And then it's mostly American cuisine. So if you want to learn more about the sequel cast, listen to past episodes, go to www.sequelcast.com. If you have a question, send us an email at sequelcast at gmail.com. And you can follow our seldom updated Twitter account at twitter.com slash sequelcast. This is Uncle Milkshake. And Mitch Kumstein. Telling you, be the ball, Danny. Be the ball.